I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Gubby Gubby people of Southeast Queensland. I honour their continuing connection to land, sea and sky, as well as their elders, past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men's Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. We're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies and men's experiences of pleasure. Today on episode number 137, I have the pleasure of chatting with Justine Ang Fonte, who uses she, they pronouns. Justine is an intersectional health educator. By framing her pedagogy through the lens of Kimberly Crenshaw's teachings on intersectionality, they interrogate how our multifaceted identities shape how we experience health. Justine believes it is the responsibility of comprehensive health education to be about social justice because health is a human right. Through her teaching, Justine promotes agency, activates empathy, fights for equity, embraces one's authentic self, and navigates care. And you can find Justine on their website, which is www.justinefonte, and that's J-U-S-T-I-N-E-F-O-N-T-E.com, or on Instagram at I'm Justine A-F, or on her other Instagram, which is what we explicitly talk about in this podcast episode, which is at underscore good dot buys underscore. And that's as in like the phrase goodbye, B-Y-E-S. Uh, the two of us talk about Justine's social media page, goodbyes, uh, and her work as a ghostwriter for boundaries. So I highly recommend you checking out that uh social media page, that Instagram page in particular, uh, to have a look at some of the examples of the ghostwriting. But beyond that, Justine and I talk about the importance of setting and recognizing boundaries and really the reasons why so many of us aren't very good at this uh, and how to get better at it. So if boundary setting is something you're interested in and want to learn more about, I encourage you to keep listening. This is a really enjoyable conversation for me, so I hope you enjoy. Personal habits of body care or hygiene can have a lot to do with popularity and social success. Let me show you. So the next time that somebody wants you to go to bed with them, with or without a condom, then just picture that you're actually going to bed. It's not just you and him or you and her. It's that you're packing along a loaded revolver with you when you go. Boy, if you hung around with the guys I know, you, you wouldn't be able to stand it. They just talk about sex all the time. The way that I like to start is with a, a little invitation. It's an invitation to you to share a bit about who you are, what it is that you do, and I'd also really love to know what are you passionate about. So that's my uh, my invitation that I extend to you. <laughs> Thank you for the invitation, Cam. I'm honored to say yes and RSVP. I am a ghostwriter of boundary setting. I'm a health educator by trade, um, and I'm a professor who talks a lot about sex education in um, elementary through high school settings based out of New York City. My passion, however, um, I think I would say is my baking. Uh, it is very therapeutic for me. I am a gift giver and um, Filipina. And uh, putting those two together means I feel like I need to feed people with my story. And a huge part of my story is food. So um, my, my neighbors are, are well-fed and so are my building facility um, staff. But it's something that just really um, fulfills me. It's very um, calming. It's soothing. I'm listening to podcasts as I'm baking. Um, and people are happy in the end. So everybody wins. That's amazing. And do you bake uh, savory or sweet or both? I usually bake sweet. And then a lot of my savory dishes um, are, are kept as an appetizer and um, when people come over. But my gifting is usually baking because I can decorate it nicely afterwards and package it in a cool way afterwards. And most people really enjoy getting baked goods. Yeah, I, I second that 100%. I love, I love baking. I love making sweets. It's one of my little 
I don't even think I've ever shared that on my podcast, actually, that I actually love awesome. I love desserts and I love making desserts and I, I love getting in the kitchen and, and trying something new. I make a pretty mean tiramisu if I don't say Ooh, so myself. Oh, so, I have not attempted that. Uh, it's it's one of my dad's classics. So, um, I think I've, I feel like I'm just slowly turning into my dad. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, that's we fitting that I've got to make turning it. turning into our parents. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm super stoked to, to um, speak with you um, and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to really talking about like your your um, work as a ghostwriter, and um, I was wondering, you know, that's a pretty. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting and unique to me, I suppose, because um, I don't really know a lot of ghost ghostwriters. I suppose um, other people might know heaps of ghostwriters, and it's pretty run of the mill for them. But I'd love to know how you got into ghostwriting, because it, yeah, it's fascinating to me. I got into ghostwriting boundaries by dating a lot of men in New York City. Uh, the origin story is that I've been on many a first dates, fewer second dates, but regardless, I never ghosted somebody when I didn't want to continue dating them. And as a result, I would write some compassionate yet clear and assertive goodbye to them over the text message if it was just after a first date. And uh, my best friend would hear about all of these and said, these are so well written. You have to save all of these. And I'm like, what am I going to do with a graveyard of rejection text messages? And she said, I don't know, but someone's going to benefit it from it one day. And um, then January 2021 rolls around and I um, am uh, in the pandemic and quarantined and thinking, okay, well, I have this spreadsheet of a whole bunch of rejection text messages, and uh, maybe it's time I put it out there for the world and see if it does benefit anyone. So I figured maybe Instagram is the medium for it. And I posted different categories that these um, rejections like fell into. Um, and I really just shared the ones that I wrote myself to, to men in New York City, um, changed their name. And um, it started to get a little traction. Um, and then I realized that people had always been asking me for help in their own dating life. Like, hey, I, I really like this guy, but um, I don't know if there's enough chemistry, but he's really nice. So I don't want to like reject him, but I don't really want to go on this third date. Uh, what do I say? And I would kind of craft this message for them like, whoa, this is so good, Justine. Thank you. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. It was it seemed easy for me. Um, and after those types of requests kept occurring, I realized maybe how I'm helping people is by providing them with these templates that start with the ones that I wrote myself in my dating life. Um, but then people can actually submit in a request to ask me to write one for them. And that's exactly what happened. So, you know, 16,000 followers later, it was clear that people really wanted this service. And there are so many relationship therapists that are giving really sound, wonderful advice about why we need to set our boundaries, but nobody was giving a script in how to articulate them. And so um, I wanted to really supplement the amazing relationship therapists, influencers that are already out there by not only saying, this is why you need to you know, protect your peace. And you're like, yeah, I agree. But how do I say that to him? Or how do I say that to my boss? Or how do I say that to my mother-in-law? How do I set a boundary with someone in my life who's either crossing the line, who's violated my values, who isn't respecting my no, whatever it is, how do I tell them that? And um, I had this way with words and you know, I've been helping people for the last year and a half in this realm, but it came easy for me because I teach consent education as a sex educator. And um, so much of the boundary setting education I do through consent um, is very much, you know, warped with entitlement and people feeling like, well, I deserve this. I don't need to ask permission. I don't need to ask how they feel. I don't need to check in with how they're doing. I'm just going to assume it's a yes, because I want it to be a yes, or I'm going to assume this is okay. So I'm just going to do it. Um, and there's just so much intertwined there that I figured, 
my skill set as a teacher, um, my skill set as um, a consent educator, and my skill set as someone in the dating world, a sex educator in the wild, was a really good formula for being your friendly ghostwriter on Instagram. Oh, that's amazing. And I, I, um, I, I have so many different things that I wanted to, to say from what you've just shared. They're like the, the first thing that comes to mind, because I just want to flag it, is... Um, because this is something that recently happened to me when I started talking about consent online was, um, and I was talking about consent in a, you know, completely non-sexuality related way. And someone uh, like commented like that they didn't understand that I was talking about consent in a way that wasn't explicitly sexual because they had thought that consent is only meant for sexual situations. And so, I, I wanted to just like, bring that up and just maybe get a little bit of your thoughts on that before I move into some more of the boundary setting stuff. Cause I think that's a really interesting and important thing to just touch on. I think consent gets a bad rap because people automatically associate it to a topic that is so taboo mm. and therefore people don't want to talk about consent because they don't want to talk about sex or they're very uncomfortable talking about it. And so even though my roots in consent education stem from sexual violence prevention, which has to do with sexual behaviors, it doesn't mean that that's the only place that consent lives. In fact, most consent practices are occurring outside of a sexual context, right? It could be something like, when, you know, you had told me right away that we were going to be recording, like, is it okay if we're going to be showing this also on YouTube, right? Has nothing to do. We're talking about sex, but we're not engaging in it. And you're asking for that permission, right? And you're asking if I'm comfortable with this. As soon as you have another person involved with any type of behavior or activity or action, you have to be in relation with them. That's why it's called a relationship. Being in relation to someone else means I now need to connect to that person. And so anything that I would normally want for myself or I would normally do is now a moot point because somebody else is involved in that activity. And so we really are teaching intimacy education, connection education, when we are teaching about sex education in schools. But oftentimes administrators and parents freak out that we're talking about intercourse. And I often say that you don't need intercourse in order for intimacy to take place. Right. Just by fact of like looking somebody in their eye is very intimate and that's it. But we live in this world that is focused so much on this behavior of, let's say, intercourse that they're actually having it without intimacy, without connection. And in some for some people in violent ways, that certainly does not really that does not align with really connecting with another human being and seeing them as a humanizing person. So, um, you know, consent is something that we need to be normalizing and embedding into our everyday and culture. Um, and it absolutely extends outside of sexual context. It's any activity. Yeah. I really appreciate you speaking into that. And um, we'll, we'll um, put that to bed because that's not necessarily what I really wanted to speak to you about, um, but it's super important. So, I'm glad that you, you, you could share on it. So, thank you. Um, but there was there was something there that was I found interesting was um, you were talking about like the different categories of boundary settings and you kind of alluded to like boss and mum and you know when someone has maybe crossed one of your boundaries already or is not respecting your no and so I wanted to ask like what are some of like the really um, common categories of boundary setting uh, that you ghost right for and that people are looking for I suppose. You know, I've been getting a lot of requests about how to break up with a friend. And that was not how I started the account. It was really about, I'm here to help support your dating life. Um, and as I started doing that, I started getting people to DM me requests around um, a friend that they had in childhood, but they've really gone through different paths now and they're just not aligned anymore. But because of their history and their childhood history and their family friend history, they feel so obligated to stay in touch with this person or still hang out with them regularly as opposed to whenever their families just get together. So now if they live in the same city, they're like, I really don't want to go to this brunch with her. But I feel like 
obligated to. I'll feel guilty if I don't. I don't think no is okay. That is a very similar response to people engaging in non-consensual behavior, right? Right. And so now I'm like, now I'm non-consensually going to this brunch. I don't even like her friends. We're going to have to split the bill when I know I'm only going to order something small and they're going to order a lot more. They're going to want to do unlimited mimosas. And I'm going to pay more than I'm going to than I want to want to with people I don't want to be with. But I, I'm going to say yes anyway. Right. That is so contrary to enthusiastic consent. And it's just brunch. So people would ask me like, look, she's totally fine. I just we're just on different paths now and we just don't have anything in common anymore. And I really just don't like hanging out with her. Can you help me politely end it with her? Is it possible? And I was like, I got you. Right. And it's like it's not that like I'm removing you from my life altogether. It's just more like, you know, our lives are really busy and different now. And, um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing you at Grandpa Joe's birthday, you know, um, you know, when we all head back home for the holidays or something. So it's it's fine. It's just that we're not going to be hanging out all the time like we used to. We're not friends anymore from second grade. Um, and so a request like that has come up a lot. And um, and I understand that that can actually even be more difficult than someone you're dating, because when you're ending it with someone you're dating, you're likely not seeing them ever again. But with a family friend or a childhood friend, right, you're likely to still see them. Um, so I would say that that's probably my most common request. And I put those under like the friendship categories. Um, and sometimes it's a, a boundary versus a goodbye. It's more like I can't hang out with you as much as you might want me to uh, versus bye, leave me forever. Don't contact me. Sometimes I am requested to do that. Um, but most times it's really just I just need space. Like we just can't hang out like we used to. Um, but I would actually say, Cam, that the hardest category has been um, service industry related. Someone um, sent me a DM asking um, how to break up with uh, their hairstylist. And um, their hairstylist is in a um, salon that has another hairstylist that they prefer. So they are going to see the person they are breaking up with every time they go in to see the other person and they'll feel like this traitor and they feel bad. And that was actually really hard for me to compose because you are going to be making eye contact with the person you are ending it with. But I rallied, I figured it out and was just like, I'm really just going through a different hair journey now and I want to try something new. Um, I'll still be coming in here to get my nails done and I'll, I'm actually going to start seeing so-and-so. So, you know, I'll totally see you still. Um, but I just want to thank you so much for everything you've been doing these last few years to, to my hair. And it's still so awkward. And honestly, I think like I have the easier job because I just have to write it. They have to press send. And that's so hard, right? You can finally get a ghostwriter to give you the words and put it in the order that makes sense. But you're the one ultimately that has to say it or press send on that text message. So that's been um, probably my more challenging ones is how to come up with these scripts for people that you still have to see on a regular basis. Yeah, I, there's, this reminds me of like a, um, an experience that I had when I was, I was actually working as a bartender. And so I would often go to have a social drink at the bar that I worked at because I could get staff discounts there. But I only worked at the bar because it was convenient for me um, and they paid me well, uh, but I didn't actually like the place there as a patron. Uh, but I really enjoyed the place next door, um, which is where a lot of my friends would go. Um, and so, you know, I, but I felt obliged to go to, uh, and I won't mention any names because there'll be some people who know, that know. Um, but uh, yeah, and so I, I, yeah, and I had to muster up the courage to be like, look, uh, you know, my boss's name, um, I, just want to go next door with my friends. They're all drinking there. I don't want to come in here and and you know. But I felt like he was going to punish me for not you know drinking there, or, or I felt like I was going to let him down, you know. And and you know, it was just a little family bar, and so I felt a lot of guilt for for doing that. And um and yeah, and doing it doing it face to face was was pretty tough. If I'd had a um 
a ghostwriter helped me send a message. Maybe that would have been a little bit easier for me. But I, I get it. I get. I get the feeling, and like that's totally that's that's a lot. Like that was a lot harder than some of the breakups that I've had in my life, you know. And it's like such an interesting, you know. Um, the, the types of relationships where boundary setting is really difficult and where it's like not as difficult and, you know, the juxtaposition between those two is like quite an interesting thing. And I guess like, you know, that, that kind of leads me to this, this question around, um, you know, the different types of boundary setting, I suppose, because you, you kind of mentioned it before, whether it's like, a, hey, I just don't have as much time and I can't spend as much time with you anymore compared to like a complete, I don't want to see you ever again. Um, do you find it... I guess like in terms of you as the writer, do you find it difficult uh, or easier to write a particular type of boundary setting or is there, is it kind of pretty easy either way? And like, how is, I guess that's where I'll start because I have a, a follow-up question after that. I think that the level of difficulty is fairly similar between goodbyes versus good boundaries is how I label it in my account. I think it, the, difficulty changes when it is, as I mentioned, someone that someone or some place that you'll still have to see, um, even if you are honoring your boundaries, because then you have to still navigate that relationship when you're making it very clear that there is something you aren't comfortable with. And, um, you know, carefully crafting words that allow you to still feel safe in that space in person um, is harder than being able to just say, bye, never have to see you again or deal with it. Mm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I, I guess like the, that leads me to my follow-up question is like, if we set a boundary as opposed to, you know, saying goodbye, then you know, it doesn't just stop there. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's going to be some, possibly some negotiation. There might be some, you know, that boundary might have to get reaffirmed at some point or, you know, there, there, there's, there's usually, I would, you know, hazard a guess, follow-ups to that one message, right? Um, and so uh, I'm curious, do you ever help uh, people write like, I guess like this like reaffirmation of their boundaries or like how to, to, you know, stand in strong in their boundaries, I suppose, if like they get challenged by someone um, and that that maybe isn't well received. I'm just wondering if there's any like um So you secondary. mean after they send a boundary yeah, I might have composed the yes. person's reaction and then their response to that. Um, I have only gotten maybe two follow-up inquiries on like, hey, this is how they responded. What do I say? Um, and I'm surprised I actually haven't gotten more follow-ups, which I want to believe is like, I just wrote such a good text message for them that the other person was like, wow, which actually has occurred. So a tangent where they, a lot of my followers that will have a um, request for me will follow up by screenshotting the person's reply. And actually when that's occurred, I think there's only two times it wasn't well-received, but the uh, most of the other times have been a, uh, Wow, he took it really well. And it was like, a, I think even someone had said, I have never felt so affirmed while being rejected before. I really appreciate your honesty and not just ghosting me. And I'm like, yeah, see, this is what I'm trying to do is humanize this experience as opposed to deflect, distract, hope the person forgets or slowly fade out. Right. And um, and I really appreciated that. And I get that a lot. Um, but ones that have come to me, the two that have come to me that have been like negative responses, my requester has actually been pretty um, self-assured that if anything, that fortified their desire to end it with them. And they're like, yeah, he didn't take it too well, but I'm actually OK because I know I have my closure and his response was a testament to how we were not going to be getting along. So I try to encourage them and say, you know, their reaction to you honoring your boundary in yourself is not your responsibility. You may have caused that reaction, but you should not be feeling guilty for honoring your boundaries. If they take that as offensive, that means that they weren't in a relationship with you. They were in something for a selfish reason to get what they want because they felt entitled to you. And so any negative reaction is not your responsibility. 
Yeah, I appreciate you you sharing that because there's like you know, to speak into like the positive responses that like, you know, it makes you feel respected to be you know not just hey see you later but like a compassionate thought out response to be like you know oh that was nice that they you know put in some effort to actually let me down gently or you know to to let me know how they're feeling what's going on for them like it, you're right it humanizes humanizes people and, and you know if i was the person receiving a message like that i'd be like oh well okay cool they've they've put in effort you know to to actually um to let me know uh, and that makes me feel respected um and i often think and to to flip you know change gears to the to the kind of negative responses i suppose um i often think that like people that aren't very good with their own boundaries tend to get triggered by people who assert their boundaries um and i i see that a lot with like i so i work with predominantly cis het men and um you know, I'll talk to them about, you know, have they ever received a no, for, for example, from a partner if they've been sexually initiating. And, um, and like, okay, when you, when you heard that no, how did, you know, how did that make you feel? Were you, you know, were you hurt? Were you, you know, um, did you get angry? You know, did, was there, you know, what came up for you? And oftentimes that then leads into a conversation about their own lack of boundaries and their, under, their lack of understanding about their boundaries as well. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to um, just pull that thread a little bit with you and, and um, speak about maybe people who do get triggered by others that are setting boundaries with them and um, what that might, what opportunity that might present. I think that you are really addressing a root issue. Most people in general struggle to set boundaries um, because we are often raised as, you know, children to be people pleasers. We are told by our caregivers and our parents that we are a good girl if we do this thing. And therefore, we're not a good person then if we don't, right? There's, it's a very like moralistic lens on doing certain behaviors. And that ends up getting attached to things like go and hug your uncle. We just got into his house. Be polite. Come on, be a good girl. You're being rude if you don't. Right. And so a lot of times femmes especially are socialized to accommodate, to care give. Um, and we get so accustomed to this need to serve, to care give and accommodate, even if it goes against what is comfortable to us. And I would say that, you know, the way that we're raising boys is very much with an expectation also to um to to do things that therefore define their boyhood or their manhood, even if it goes against what they're comfortable with. So oftentimes it comes through like milestones of like, have you done this yet? And then that's when you're really a boy, right? What? You don't have a, you don't like a girl yet. <laughs> okay. When you're not a real boy, you're not a real man yet. Right. And then once you hit high school age, like what? You haven't gotten laid yet. You really want to go to college as a virgin. You're not a real man yet. And then even once you've past that, then it becomes how many? Let's power hoard. Well, how many girls are you texting? What's your body count? Like, how far have you gone with her? How much? It becomes how much. It's very quantitative in terms of how much your masculinity is, which therefore tells us your worth. And this perception that boys are supposed to be like this and that they should want this even if it's not actually true or authentic to them, is non-consensual behavior. We are forcing these ideals and scripts on boys and saying, this is what you need in order to prove your manhood. And so, so much of that is teaching them to be entitled to things, to own it, to take it, right? Don't, you know, don't ask for it. That's yours. And there's so many problems with having that perception, putting on those expectations and still socializing, you know, our masculine population to adopt these narratives when it's not actually authentic to them. So when it comes to something like setting boundaries, they're not used to hearing a no or being rejected because they're used to getting what they want when they want it. And they're used to being served often by the femme population, being taken care of, being accommodated, 
And therefore, they're never really practicing having to set any boundaries because they always felt entitled to whatever they wanted. And so gender roles and the way we perpetuate them being non-consensual behaviors start to create these divides on then what we expect of people. And it's so toxic for everyone involved. Um, And it really affects how even young six-year-old boys and girls on playgrounds are already interacting with each other. And it's it's so sad that, you know, we're pushing these gender norms on them even before they're out of utero because we're already trying to guess, you know, based on the genitalia that they're going to be into football. They're going to be into blue. And then their name has to be the strong name. Um, And if it's anything else, then it's a little bit weaker and a little bit more dainty and a little bit more feminine. But people already have all these expectations because they're putting their desires and perceptions onto this human being that isn't even here yet. And it's so tough to dismantle that because it's so rooted in that binary and that patriarchy. But a lot of that comes with entitlement, which is the number one enemy of boundary setting. Mm, yeah, I appreciate you speaking into that. And, and a lot of what you shared about um, rings true to like my adolescence was, you know, I very much had a mentality around sex, which was quantity over quality. And, you know, that was what I measured my masculinity by. And I was, you know, I went to university in America. Uh, and so I was very much part of that, like collegiate. Uh, I, was a, I was a student athlete. So I was part of that locker room space. And the way that the young men in that space spoke about sexuality and spoke about women was like consuming them. And, you know, the, the more you consumed, the more you said it, the more you were worth, right? Your, the more your masculinity was measured by. And so, um, and so I had to learn, unlearn that. And I, I still am, you know, unlearning it. It's a constant unlearning process. And that's part of like the work that I do with the men that, that see me is like, you know, how are you approaching, I mean, how are you approaching the idea of sex, the idea of masculinity, the, you know, you know how are your relationships with the women in your life? Um, and yeah, and getting them to unpick those stories and the narratives that they've, you know, I did a lot of narrative therapy. I've said on the podcast a few times that like the, the thing that really helped me was going through, um, you know, psychotherapy with a narrative therapist and really just like learning about all these scripts that I had just adhered to without really critically thinking about it um, and, and rewriting those scripts for myself. And, um, and so that was a really powerful, powerful lesson for me. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to chime in here with a plug for my online men's course. It's called Outperform a Porn Star. It goes for six weeks and it's all about experiencing multiple orgasms, overcoming any uh, sexual dysfunctions, reframing your whole performance mindset around sex to be more pleasure-oriented, We talk about communicating with your partner, being a sexual leader, and all of this amazing stuff. So if you're interested in learning how to outperform a porn star, head to my website, www.cam-fraser.com. Let's get back to this episode. I feel a little bit, um, yeah, I feel a little vulnerable sharing, but there was a, um, there was a experience of uh, and I think I've shared this before, but it was this experience of like boundary setting for me that um, happened in a workshop that I did around, um, it was a touch-based workshop. And so we were talking about, um, well, not we're talking, but we, we were uh, experimenting with touch and, and asking for consent essentially. Um, and one of the uh, activities that we did, I was, um, you know, I asked for, uh, something that I wanted to do to my partner, my workshop partner, uh, which was, um, I, I said, can I just hold you? Can I just, you know, hug you? And, um, and she said, yes. And I, you know, she said, you can hug me in this way. I said, that's great. And we kind of negotiated what the, what the hugging would look like. And so we sat down and we did it and the workshop facilitator came over and said, um, you know, who is this for? And, um, you know, wasn't quite sure, like, who had asked to to do the hugging um 
and it, it brought up in me and I hadn't really, you know, processed anything at the time around this, but what it brought up for me was like, as you kind of mentioned, an expectation that I had internalized, which was that as the, as the, you know, male, as the mask, as the guy in this kind of heteronormative, heterosexual context, I was supposed to be, you know, doing more um, explicit touching. I should have asked for, for, you know, to, to, you know, to touch a different part of you know, my workshop partner's body, or I should have gone and been a bit more explicitly um, sexual with my touching. And then I you know, reflected on experiences in my life where I was like, oh my God, have there been times in my life where I haven't wanted to be sexual, but I've done it anyway. I've escalated. I've, you know, pursued sex when really what I wanted was a hug or really what I wanted was some other form of non-sexual intimacy. But because that's not, you know, ex- that's not acceptable as a man, right? As a real man, you, you pursue sex, you chase sex, you initiate sex, a specific type of sex as well. Um, you know, there's been times where I've crossed my own boundaries. And if I've crossed my own boundaries and hadn't even known about it, there's definitely been times where I've crossed other people's boundaries and not known about it. And so it was just, it was a very, yeah, emotional experience for me at the time, um, realizing that I had like done that. And, um, and yeah, so I, I share that um, whenever I talk about boundaries because it's a, um, it definitely is something that I, the more I speak to other men about it, the more they also have a realization of like, oh, fuck, there have been times where I've pushed through, even though I didn't necessarily want to have sex, but I just did it anyway because I thought that was what was expected of me. And it's like, look, man, if you're, if you're doing that and not even honoring your boundaries, imagine, you know, not honoring or knowing about your partner's boundaries as well. And, and it, so it's a scary thing to like come to that realization. And, and it is typically when I do that conversation with a guy, um, it does get a little bit emotional. He does get a little bit like, oh, fuck, what have I done? Um, and it's kind of like a, yeah, it's a, it's a um, vulnerable space and, and one that has to be navigated delicately when I'm doing it one-on-one. But it's um, something I just felt was important to, to share and add to, to our conversation. So, yeah, don't know where I was going with that, but I just felt like to, to throw it in there. No, I mean, it, it's a really perfect and unfortunate example of these male scripts that almost are in, you know, the, now the subconscious where you feel like you're aware enough of it, but then you're having these experiences that don't feel right in your body. And it's because your body is sending those signals to you that something is off. But so then why did I do that anyway? And we need to take those pauses to really question and interrogate why we're still doing it. Because we have that bodily autonomy, and yet we're still going against what our body actually wants. And that's coming from our inner child, from years of being socialized in one way. And it's going to take a lot of time. Um, So I hope you're giving grace to yourself for that. And, um, you know, using that as, as, um, something you can lean on in the future so that you can lean on your body more than what is expected of you. Yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate that. Yeah. I thank you. And, and it, it kind of prompts a question around this, um, just to kind of piggyback off, off what you shared is like, you know, you got to pay attention to those signals, right? You're like, you got to be aware of and tuned into your body in order to, to notice those signals. And I don't think I, I was for a long time. Um, but, this like then brings me back to to your work as a um, you know ghostwriter for for boundaries. Um, you know, I'm, I guess I'm curious like at what point are people asking for your assistance? I suppose with regards to like having a message that they can send to someone. Is it like where they're at their you know wits end with this person and they're like God, I I just you know need you know and their boundaries have been pushed and pushed and pushed and they're like at to at a breaking point or is it like are there people that are like right at the beginning and they recognize, oh, I, this is a red flag. I need to catch this right now. And I don't really know what to say. I guess, is there a, a spectrum? Definitely a spectrum. That's what I was going to say. Um, rarely has it, I think, been um, at their wits end. Um, I haven't really gone through someone's whole journey from the first red flag all the way to the wits end. Um, but on occasion, I will. I have a category called cross the line. And that's usually where like the most um, explicitly severe boundaries have been crossed a- 
after someone has already set one or tried to and it wasn't honored versus other ones where like, well, I never told him yet that I wasn't into that. So this would be my first time. And then fine. Uh, But the cross the line ones would be something like, um, you know, we were already talking over dinner how I wasn't interested in having sex, um, you know, um, on a first date. Um, But then when we got to uh, my place um, to watch a movie, which was the plan and what we had discussed, he already started, you know, making all these moves um, that I thought were clear he was not going to be doing. all the to the, all the way to the point of whatever it was that they were definitely uncomfortable with, um, and so there was already a boundary set, and yet it was still crossed. And then those folks can come to me, and then it is uh, cross the line. Versus people that don't even know yet what the line is, or the line line hasn't even been drawn, uh, but they want to communicate it because maybe it's now going to be the second date. Um, so the spectrum is is very real, but it's more rare for me to get the ones um, that are on the cross the line. So I have less of that category in burnt orange as they're all color coordinated. Um, But they are they're there because some people will have um, already um, felt like they were at their wits end or they definitely don't want to see this person again because the boundary was already crossed after having stated it. Um, So I tend to be a little less compassionate in my crafting of those because it needs to be extremely assertive and clear as to why you are not going to be in contact with me anymore from here on out. Uh, Whereas the other ones are like, I wish you well, thanks for giving it a shot, you know, take care. Yeah. A little bit more. Yeah. Compassionate and maybe a bit, bit kinder. Yeah. Right. I am. I I was wondering, this is a little bit of a tangential question, but do you have any recommendations or suggestions for people uh, who are unsure what those signals in their body might feel like with regards to like, uh, you know, oh, maybe there is a boundary there. What should I be looking for if, if I'm noticing that in my body? Yeah. I'm so glad you asked that, Cam, because we were talking about, you know, our own signals in our own body. And as soon as another person is involved, now you have to try to be a little literate on the signals happening in somebody else's body and how that manifests on the outside. So it becomes very, you know, complex for sure. Um, But for someone just trying to identify their own, um, you know, signals first that you may be able to start to notice in another person is actually a lesson that I have done with my first grade students in our health classes. And this is folks, what sex ed in first grade looks like. It's about understanding body signals that are telling you whether or not there is a threat to your safety or not. So evolutionarily, we have developed these signals to tell us and communicate to us that something is going on. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It could be a sad, happy, angry thing, whatever, but it's your body communicating to you despite what you are supposed to react to. So it might be something like um, you are sweating, but it's not hot out. Your heart is pounding out of your chest, it feels like, but you didn't just go for a run. Um, You are feeling like you have to urinate, but you just came out of the bathroom. Maybe it's a UTI. Maybe it's not. But like, right, it's just like, hold on, something's off here. Your hands, your body are starting to shake a little bit, right? But you're not shivering and it's not cold out. So all of these things that are happening to your body physically don't make sense in the environment you're actually in, but it's still happening. There are other ones where, you know, you might have goosebumps, but it's not cold, right? Your hair feels like it's sticking, sticking up, right? But it's, you're not cold. And so all of these, um, you know, somatic signals are telling us that um, something is going on here. Maybe you're nervous because you're about to go and give a speech, right? Or maybe you're about to go on a date um, or you're about to, um, you know, get on a big call with your boss, right? So it doesn't mean that it's a threat to your safety, but your body is trying to gear up for either adrenaline to get flooded so that you can be there and do the thing. Or it might be telling you, you know, this person is 
someone I don't feel safe with. Or I clearly said something, but whatever they just said is making me feel a kind of way. And that kind of way is our body tensing up or reacting to this evolutionary response that in our bodies, you know, um, genetically have told us something is off, stay on alert here. Um, And so many of us, especially as young children, have been told to temper those signals. So let's say we're doing that example of hugging your uncle when you, you know, for the holidays or something when you go, go there. You're like, I I just really don't want to. He like squeezes me too tightly or he always smells like whatever it is, like you're already feeling like a bit of a tummy ache or butterflies in your stomach because you're like, I'm going to have to do something I don't want to do. But as you start doing these non-consensual things all the time, because you're told that that'll make you a good girl if you do, you start to dismiss those signals when they start happening when you're now in sixth grade. And then you're 16 and then you're 26 and you're used to doing things you don't want to do. And, you know, I think there's there's a quote I I say often because I think so many people apply it. When you sit in shit for a long period of time, it stops smelling. But it doesn't mean it doesn't smell. It's just that you got used to it. Why are we settling for shit? As opposed to, "Mm, hey, Uncle Bobby, can we just high five? Or like, I I just like, I don't want to, it's like really hot out. I just don't want someone else's body on me, but like we can play Legos. Like you're just giving him an alternative. It's like, not that I don't love you. I just don't want to touch you. And like, it took a global pandemic for most people to start thinking of alternative ways to Say hello or goodbye to someone. Okay, elbow bump or wave from afar, but stay six feet away. Like it took a global pandemic for people to start understanding boundary settings when it came to like spatial awareness. Why can't we do that with salutations outside of a pandemic? But that's what it took for the world to start asking for permission. Like, hey, is it okay if I share the elevator with you? Like, oh, you go ahead. I'll wait for the next one. Right. We're just honoring people's space. But when people think about hugs or intercourse, they're like, oh, God, everyone's so sensitive now. It's like, yeah, we should be because it's our bodies. And that's our sanctuary. Let's take care of it. I love what you said um, about, you know, Uncle Bobby. It's like it's not that I don't love you. It's just that I don't want to do this particular thing right now. And like that, for, especially for like intimate relationships is, at least in my experience and the work I do, is like super important. Um, it's like, you know, expressing just because I don't want to have sex with you right now doesn't mean that like I hate you and I never want to have sex with you for the rest of my life. But, and again, I think because we're not used to having boundaries set with us, not used to setting boundaries ourselves, a boundary can feel like, oh my God, she hates me or he hates me. Uh, we're never going to have sex again. Or this is the end. You know, everything's falling apart and it's just catastrophic, right? I think that's, that can be this like spiral that, that people go into when they hear someone set a boundary. And so I really appreciate that just little quip that you just had then because, um, yeah, it was so, it resonated a lot with me with, with some of the clients that I've worked with for sure. Yeah, it might be the no might mean not yet or not this. But it doesn't necessarily mean not you. Yeah. And I think that distinction is like super important um, because we take, can take boundaries like really personally. And, right. Um, and that's where the negotiation comes into play. Right. It's just kind of like, um, yeah, I don't want to go to this gala with you because it's going to be a whole long night after already a long day at work. But I can catch, um, I can catch dinner with you before you go. Right. And I give that very specific example because a friend of mine just had that situation. It's like, I really don't want to go to this soiree. And it's not that I don't like hanging out with her. I just like, I'm going to, I have so much going on already that day. We have to dress in costume for Halloween. And it's not even my jam. Like, I won't know anyone there. And it costs $73 to even attend this thing. I'd rather just have dinner with her. I'm like, dude, then just fucking ask her that. And he goes, yeah, but then she's going to get mad. I go, 
Is she mad because you're picking a different way to still hang out with her where you will actually be fun to hang out with versus you settling and making it very obvious that you that she's being a burden to you? Right. So like it's it's almost more of an insult to do the thing you're guilty or obligated to do versus I want to give you a better version of myself. And that means it's going to be at a different time or in a different context or a different venue. But I'd rather you have fun me come through than obligated me come through. That's why enthusiastic consent is always going to feel better when everyone involved actually wants to be doing that. And it doesn't have to be this one way, right? That's why these alternatives and negotiating, you know, is so key to that communication and consensual building. Yeah, that's what I was going to piggyback off is that that example. It's like you have to then trust in your friend to be like, if she doesn't like the restaurant that you've suggested to be like, oh, actually, I'd love to hang out with you at dinner, but maybe we can go to this restaurant instead. And that way you, you, you've got two people that are like you know, advocating for themselves and coming to a place where they're both showing up enthusiastically and they both want to be there and they're not just, you know, um, begrudgingly, you know, from a place of feeling obligated to be there um, showing up. So, yeah, that, I think like part of boundary setting is like trusting your partner to also be able to set their boundaries. As well. I mean, I say partner because that's my work, but like people in general, you have to be able to trust that they're going to be able to set boundaries with you as well if you're setting boundaries. And, and that's like, that's also tough to do to trust someone to, to set their own boundaries as well. And, um, and that's, you know, Hence asking. <laughs> that's why asking is really important. But that's the intimacy part. If you're really connected to this person and you're intimately trying to understand them because you care about the relationship and being in relation to each other, you're willing to take those risks and be vulnerable to actually say, I need to honor my own boundary here. What is yours? And let's see where we can find commonality. And those two examples that we just gave, that soiree is one and your restaurant one has everything to do with consent and nothing to do with sex. <laughs> to bring it full circle, yeah. I um, I, I wanted to, uh, to to circle back to to noticing signals, right? Because we, we spoke about noticing signals in our own body and I think those are some really, really fantastic ones. Something I wanted to add is um, clenching your jaw. Uh, that's something I, I often add in um, and yeah, tension in your body in general. Uh, but when we're maybe trying to tune into someone else's signals, it, it, it might be a little bit difficult to notice if they've got goosebumps or if they're um, if they if their hair on the back of the neck standing up. So, what what are some things that we might be able to look for in a in someone else? Yeah, there's a lot of different body language that you can be reading, and I mean. There are definitely people who are good at covering up because they've been doing it for most of their life, like many people have. Um, but as you get to know someone better and again, more intimately, you'll start to understand what their baseline is to know like, when they're really excited about something, how do they react? When they're really annoyed by something, how do they react? And when they're angry, whatever it is. So you start to develop your own database of understanding how they react to certain things. Um, but if this is still on the on new, uh, you know, uh, in a new like playing field here, it might be, okay, I noticed a long pause in their response when I asked, can we go get burgers? And that pause could have been because they didn't hear you. It could be because it was too loud out. They were distracted, whatever. But it also could be they're still thinking, right? And also part of your responsibility is to make no okay and safe for them to say. And so it might just be like, hey, Cam, you want to go grab burgers after this? I could add on to that to make you feel safer to say no, not yet, not, you know, not this by adding like, hey, you want to get burgers? But I'm also down for other types of cuisines, too, if, if you if you know, if you don't want burgers, I'm already letting you know, even though my preference is burgers, there are other options that I'm very flexible and, you know, and willing to accommodate. Right. Um, but if I really want burgers, that's the only that is what I'm craving. Hey, Cam, do you want to get burgers later? Um, if not, I'm just going to ask um, Stacy later because I'm crazy, craving burgers, but maybe we can grab beers later. Just let me know your schedule. Right? So there's flexibility and safety here. Like, okay, I don't have to get burgers with her. Uh, I have another option here. I haven't, she's giving me an out, which is not burgers. 
Um, but it was also, even if I don't want beers later, um, she's still saying like, just text me later. And it sounds like it's very open. It's not like we had something locked in and planned out. I have room to move here. But if I'm just asking you, hey, do you want burgers? And you're like, um, yeah, I guess. It was a yes, but it sounds like you're still thinking about it. Maybe you were craving something else. And so I would hear that and be like, oh, do you want something else? Do you want pizza instead? But if you're like, oh, yeah, I love a burger right now. It sounds so good. That's very different, right? And again, with that database of how long I've known you, of like, oh, when Cam likes something, it's very clear, right? When Cam's like kind of unsure, there's a little bit more puzzling. Um, yeah, we can do burgers, right? But I'm like, oh, do you want something else? You're like, no, no, no. I was just thinking about like where we would go because we're, you know, in this part of the neighborhood and I don't know any burger. But I'm like, oh, okay. I thought that hesitation was really more about your lack of interest in burgers, right? So I am overthinking in my head all of these things, but it's because I am eating a burger with another person, right? If, if it was just me, I would have already left 10 minutes ago and stuffed my face with this burger. But I'm involving you because I'm in relation to you and I want to eat this food with you in shared company because that would be fun. And so therefore, if I want it to be fun and my intention is pleasure and joy, how do I maximize that experience? by making sure it's also something you are looking forward to and you want to eat and you want to eat with me at that time. So I have to make room for all of that possibility ready for the fact that you might say no and that's not going to crush me. Yeah, I think that is what I was going to add is like that that um, invitation, like, hey, do you want to get burgers? Leaving it at that without you know, adding in context and nuance, the pressure that the person that you've just asked to be like, fuck, if I say no, does that mean they're not going to go get burgers? Does that mean I've ruined their their plans? Like, and so can lead to, yeah, okay, sure. When maybe it was not exactly a yes in the first place. And, and so like, I love the, you know, add-ons and the extra examples that you gave because it, it alleviates that pressure of being like, Oh fuck! What if I say no? Like, how badly is this going to go if I say no? Um, and it create—you're right—it creates safety and it creates that container to be like, cool. Like, I'm, you know, it's kind of an invitation, and that's it. You know, there's no, there's no pressure for this to to go either way. Um, so yeah, I, I really, um, yeah, I really like that example, and hopefully, people were picking up on what burgers could also be. Um, an <laughs> it could be for. anything. <laughs> yes, it can yeah. be anything. But that's what I think, even with burgers, you know, I'm tr- doing my very best to make sure that somebody doesn't feel obligation, guilt, coercion, or, you know, this pressure, because I want people to enjoy eating with me, right? And if they're not going to, then what? Why? why am I doing that? So, you know, same goes for any sexual context, too. And that's why we just need to start talking about this stuff and thinking deeper beyond, you know, um, yes means yes, no means yo, no, because yes means yes is not enough when so many people can say it, but their body is not. And they're saying it because it's not okay to say no, or it doesn't feel safe to. So we have to really think about what type of maybe power dynamic. If I was your boss, Cam, and asking you to, if you want to go get burgers, that power dynamic now makes this very different. We were peers three minutes ago, but now I'm your ba- boss asking, hey, Cam, you want to get burgers? You may be thinking, if I don't say yes to burgers with my boss, is, is he going to get pissed that I'm saying no to him? Is, is this going to affect my promotion in three months? Is this going to affect my your review at the end of the year? Um, or is this going to, like, how might this help me? Does that mean I'm going because of this ulterior motive or because I actually want to hang out with my boss? You know, whatever. But that boss, knowing that he has more power than you, it's on him to make sure he's somehow dismantling that or making it safe for someone to say no. Hey, I'm going to grab burgers anyway. Do you want to come with? If not, I can just tell me your order and I can get you one. Right? Great. That seems better already. But if I'm just, you know... Boss Justine saying, do you want to get burgers with me, Cam? You're already feeling, oh, well, this is my boss. 
but I don't want burgers. I guess he forgot I'm even vegan, right? And then you're like, yeah, sure, let's go. Boom, right? But both parties have to be a part of this because now you're connecting to another human. And it could be, again, in relation to someone else means what are the powers that be? Because if power's there, consent cannot. And it might be, you know, I'm grabbing burgers for everyone in the office today. What's your order? That's different, right? But we got to start being more um, conscientious about power dynamics and where people are in this. And if you're unsure, then you communicate that. Yeah, thank you for bringing in power dynamics because that is definitely something that, um, yeah, adds a lot of nuance to you know, already what is um, a bit of nuance anyway. So uh, I appreciate you adding that in. Um, I am mindful of time, Justine, as well. And there was other things I wanted to ask you around, like setting boundaries with regards to money. Uh, and um, there's a few other things in there, but if, I'm really grateful that you, you um, have shared so much uh, over the last hour with me. Um, it's been really, really fascinating and educational as well for me. So thank you very much for, for just, you know, impromptu educating me that's been really really um, valuable uh, but i wanted to uh, uh you know round out the episode or round out this conversation i suppose with um you know an opportunity for you to share uh any advice that you have to for people that are maybe struggling to set boundaries what's maybe a first step that they might be able to take i have two mantras that i hope folks that are struggling can adopt um the first is from Janalyn Umipig, who is a Filipina sister of mine. And this quote, I think about all the time. And um, it goes like this. My boundaries are not meant to offend you. They're meant to honor me. And that is something that I remind myself all the time because I'm always scared as, you know, a born and raised people pleaser. Well, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to hurt their feelings. But then that means you're not honoring what you actually need and protecting your own energy, your own time, your own peace. So thinking about it just by flipping that script on, it's not about offending someone. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with honoring yourself and self-care over, you know, um, thinking about other people's care and the whole like, you know, put your own oxygen mask on before you put your child's on. You have to take care of yourself to actually be a better caregiver. So if you are caregiving and want to do that, you're actually going to be better um, if you take care of yourself first. And then the second um, mantra that I think about a lot is um, because setting boundaries feels like I'm not being empathetic or I'm not being kind. Um, Dr. Brene Brown has said that the most boundaried people are actually the most empathetic people. And that really resonated with me because I always want to think that I am an empath and someone that's thinking about how others are doing. But then if I set a boundary, even if it means to honor myself, like, isn't that selfish? And in fact, the way that, you know, Dr. Brown describes this is that they are so intentional about wanting to be so present with people that if they know they don't have the capacity or bandwidth to be so, then they're not going to settle for giving them half of themselves when they could wait, when they have more energy, they refuel and recharge and take care of themselves so that person can actually benefit from their full self being there. And I was like, damn, yeah, that's basically another way of saying enthusiastic consent. Everyone wins if we're truly all in it because we wanna be in it. I'm honoring my boundaries. Hopefully the other person is recognizing it's about honoring, you know, yourself. And they're saying, you know what? I'm actually really glad Justine said no to brunch because she just, you know, came from abroad. She's probably jet lagged. She's probably not going to be that fun. And she cares enough about our friendship to make sure that the time we have is one where we're fully intentionally there to enjoy each other's company. So, yeah, great. As opposed to tired, sleepy Justine, who doesn't really want to be there. That's not going to be fun for anyone. So those two mantras have been really um, critical um, to how I have been practicing my own boundary setting. Um, and honestly, the the real ones in your life are going to come through and really respect that when you start exercising it. And the ones who are offended or annoyed 
they're not really there to help you honor yourself. And um, that says a lot about that friendship or that relationship. So um, I'm really proud of like the community that I've kept and the company I keep because they're people that know that I'm looking out for myself, which is in service of looking out for us. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing that. And thank you so much for spending an hour just chatting with me and, and giving people the practical tools to implement boundaries as opposed to just the boundaries are important conversation. It's like the, the how-to. So um, it's been fantastic. And um, yeah, I'm just really, really grateful. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Cam. I appreciate your trust in me. And you asked like the big, good questions. So I was happy, more than happy to answer them. Oh, amazing. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Men's Sex and Pleasure podcast. If you find value from this content, then I encourage you to consider becoming a patron on my Patreon account. You can find the link for that in the description below. You have access to a whole bunch of perks, including behind the scenes podcast footage, as well as pre-release YouTube videos and patron-only writing, as well as the opportunity to have your name either shown in a YouTube video or read out in a thank you during the podcast. So like I said, if you enjoy this content and you'd like to support it and support me, then head to the link in the show notes below and consider becoming a patron. Thank you.